Stroud looking underneath. Caught. And touchdown, Jackson Smith and Jekyll. Big hole for Bond. High stepping into Baylor territory. And you can kiss Deuce Bond goodbye. Action here. Williams setting up. Going downtown. Mims is there. Touchdown, Oklahoma. Baylor's with a quick swing pass. It's Keaton Mitchell on the sideline. Across midfield. It's a foot race. Well, hello, everybody. This is Chris from Burning the Red Shirts. You are not hearing Zach's voice, which means he is down and out for the count with a fake sinus infection. Hope he feels better here shortly, probably five to ten days based on past experience. But have Andrew with me. We're not going to do introductions. We're going to rock right into it. And I think we start with probably the thing everyone's talking about the most this week in what works. It's going to make it exciting this uh, upcoming weekend. Your, your new gear? No, even saying? better. Even better than my new gear. Colin Schley's performance against Georgia and then his upcoming matchup, I think, against <laughs> Ohio, correct? Yeah, dude. Jared is so upset. Jared and all my fellow dog supporters are so upset that like can that Kent State actually gave us a little bit of a scare at and or depending on how you want to rationalize it, uh, just kept the game close to the point where Jared linked to some dude dog out west on Twitter who created some some whole conspiracy theory that Georgia was just intentionally calling uh, more difficult plays. Did you see this to make it more challenging I, for themselves? I responded <laughs> back and it. I just was like, I need to stop. I've, I had a couple of beers. I need to stop. This is not going to end well. the, the need to take away, to do anything other than give credit to our boys at Kent State for hanging with Georgia, Oklahoma, and Washington. Like just the need to do anything but give credit to them, I think is, is funny. Like that, for, to some extent, it's like it's like how do we rationalize like when we when we fail and when we fail to meet expectations and like mm. as as an athlete as a tennis player like it's always interesting because how do you process a loss how do you process how you didn't uh, perform how you wanted to and like a, a classic example within tennis is like the you ever listen to the Venus or Serena Williams do an interview they will never credit their opponent in so many words it's always I didn't play up to my expectations like I let myself down today. And I think that it's a kind of a similar thing here. But Kent State holding Georgia to 39, holding Oklahoma to 33. I was too uh, messed up too late in the night to remember what the, how many points Washington scored. They, they scored a good 45, amount. 45, well, I think it was. Yeah, but we're not talking about 60, 70-point performances, which you would, which you see so many times in these types of games and you have seen so many times in the past with Kent State. Um, they – for me, it's a huge takeaway going into conference play. Like one, for so many reasons, I've looked to add to and uh, the the action that I have on Kent State. In addition, just having Colin Schley in every single league, uh, I've I've been betting their conference fe- conference features with with even more confidence coming out of this conference play because I thought Schley looked really good. I love the way they handled uh, him in terms of not really running him, seeing success and looking to lean on just their, their skill talent around him. Um, they came out of it healthy. and But also the defense, I thought, looked 
like way stronger than I expected. And I think that that is going to have such a big impact as we get into to Mac play there. They were, dude, they were 10 to one to win the Mac after week three after, or if no, after week two going into the LI U game. And I took a little bit of that, but I was afraid that Georgia might just end Schley's life. And I was like, well, I don't want to be stuck with all this money on whoever the backup QB is. Mm-hmm. leaving." So I was like, I'll wait. And then most books adjusted coming out of the Georgia game uh, to make them five and a half to one, but Barstool still has them at seven. So I've taken a bunch of that, which I, I think is ridiculous. Like the, some of all, a decent amount of the Barstool line, like in the different uh, G5 conferences are, are interesting relative to what you find in most books. Like UNLV, they still have it 17 to one. DraftKings has them at seven to one. So I took a little bit of that, even though like I was such a hater on ULV, UNLV coming into the year. Uh, with, like we've never seen anything that really inspired much confidence outside of Brumfield looking generally confident, confident the few times that he's actually been healthy, but they've looked so good this year and the, everything that's shaping up in the mountain West, look at 17 to one. It feels really nice. Yeah. Touching on the Georgia piece real quick. I will preface this with, I think Georgia's the best team in the country. I think it's yeah. not even close Michigan, who I believe is a top three, four team in the country, loses by three to four touchdowns, right? Just like last, like the the playoff, right? It's okay to say that you just weren't very good. Like you didn't play up to standards. Like what irked me was this excuse that it was backups, that these backups played. And that's why they purposely called all these tough plays. And to an extent, I could understand why that would happen and like, but you chose to do it. You're a full, <laughs> you're a full team that you are also going to benefit from in the future because you played backups and got you know for twofold, right? You got guys experience in a real game against a solid team. You also then save some legs, right? So like this whole idea that like Georgia fans need to um, like play it down, like it's okay to win by seventeen. It's okay. So I just thought that was ridiculous. I think yeah. George is amazing. Let's pump the brakes on like the whole excuses, though. You just Kirby's you, you won by seventeen. Kirby's priorities are severely misplaced as well. If let's give a look, let's pretend we can give some credence to this tough play calling idea. That is not inflating Stetson's stats to the point where he continues to move in the right direction from a Heisman perspective. Like his odds dropped this week. I think as much as a result of his statistical performance as Hendon Hooker looking awesome and a big win. In the reality, it doesn't matter because after we slaughter uh, Tennessee week 11, like that's going to be the end of Hooker's campaign and Stetson will get a bump for that in the, in the Heisman race. But still, like short-term, medium-term, long-term, Kirby needs to understand that the number one goal for this season is Stetson winning the Heisman and everything else is second secondary. Yeah, I would say Stetson doesn't win the Heisman if they don't go twelve and zero, right? Or like eleven and one, extremely oh, impressively. Yeah. His, his so path is winning all the big games, including taking down Bama in uh, the conference championship, and presumably you need some thing like you need Ohio State to drop a game, probably too. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, to speak on the Kent State piece, it's really interesting to watch Slee only get seven carries. I, w- <laughs> it's the rare we know we're going to get beat. So we're just going to keep safe. Like every yeah. single week, it feels like Shelly is just getting less and less action just because they know this stuff doesn't matter. Like Long Island, they're going to crush. So we'll get you a little bit, a taste of it, but nothing crazy. And then Georgia, you know, 
the game was close for a minute, right? Yeah. And they still didn't really do anything. So I think it's interesting to see that. I hope they continue. Like, I hope they raise that and run them more. And then I'm, I'm encouraged by Marquez Cooper. His performance last couple of weeks has been encouraging because he's getting a ton of the rushing usage. And, yep. you know, in the Mac, it's going to probably go down a little bit because they'll go so much no huddle and, you know, endurance wise, I'm sure that'll wear on them. But they're also going to score 45 points, right? So you're getting, a, it's going to balance out the less usage, but more yards, more scoring. So um, I'm excited about uh, Kent State. I keep telling people, hey, like this Kent State team is probably going to win the Mac. And then, yeah, like, you they couldn't have good. drawn up that the way that non-con played out any better for them. I think uh, everything went, I think, per, I think perfectly. And but this, the Ohio game this week is my game of the weekend. I think it's gonna it, like the, if they're the over under is like sixty eight. I haven't taken it uh, yet. Like I, I took Kent State when they opened at minus seven, and it's at like eleven and a half now, which feels like a lot. But still, I. That, if there's less than 80 points in that game, it feels like a disappointment. Who wins that game and who plays better, Curtis Rourke or Schley? Kent State's going to win, right? They're going to. I think. I think they win. I think they cover. Um, but it's it's presumably going to be pretty back and forth. It's a nice test to see now that we're in MAC. How much does the Kent State defense that we think? We saw improvement from we as in me uh, in the non-con schedule. How does that translate to the to conference play? With your point, your point being an important one that you mentioned, how like they're going to be going warp speed every drive, and that has such an effect on your defense. Like the the fact that they're not three and outs, but okay, you're running five plays, you're scoring. Defense is still back on the field really quickly. Mm-hmm. So they they're off season higher. I forget what it was, but. It, the defensive coordinator they hired is clearly, I think, paying dividends, and this will be the this will be the where we I think we see all the largely theoretical gains translate to practice, and from here it's just gonna the idea is all right they're gonna just score every time they have the ball and they're gonna make more than enough defensive stops and they're just gonna they're run through the mac. Yeah, probably the most surprising upset of the weekend. Middle Tennessee State against Miami at Miami. Did you see Stockstill's quote? No. What did he say? Like 30 minutes ago, I saw it on Twitter. Um, it said, Miami paid us $1.5 million and all they got was 1.6 yards per carry. Oh, my God. What a savage move. Did you watch any of that game? I didn't catch any of it. I did not, but looking, I saw some highlights. I was watching, I don't know, maybe the Rare Sports Center episode. Yeah. I don't watch that anymore, but uh, I'm getting bored these days. So I watched a little bit of that maybe, and I saw, it was like literally big play after big play. And I look at the uh, the box score. This is insane. They have a 69-yard, I believe it, yeah, 69-yard touchdown catch. There was an 89-yard catch. There was a 98-yard catch. What is Miami doing? And I is I think it might be Jake Garcia season, by the way, in Miami. Van Dyke just got dropped in all my leagues. You have to. I think you have to. I, yeah. I think I talked about it on one of the different – I think the one with um, Colin um, Campus Life, the beginning of last week, and we were like – with uh, Leary and from NC State and Tyler Van Dyke, it's like how much more ro- uh, rope do you have for him? And I was like, one more week with Van Dyke, Max. And same with Leary. I don't I don't know. Leary just doesn't feel like a good option anymore anyways. But 
Van Dyke's definitely a, a drop. I can have a fire alarm drill potentially going off there. <laughs> well, let's keep going and we'll see how this goes. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. So, uh, Miami, how surprised are you by their inefficiencies and how awful they are? I mean, what a, what a wild outcome. I, I don't understand what changed outside of Jalen Lane playing between their uh, the absolutely dreadful performance that Middle Tennessee put out there against James Madison and just going into Miami and being on multiple scores the entire game on a, on a, on a top twenty five team. You know what I, everybody's you know what everybody's saying. No, Evan Gaddis or uh, Gaddis <laughs> from Michigan that, or Josh Gaddis, Josh Gaddis. I was thinking of um, yeah, yeah, the yeah, Braves catcher from back in the day. Uh, but yeah, so everybody's blaming Gaddis from Michigan. Did he Miami. give up? Did he give up the ninety eight yard uh, touchdowns? He might have missed a tackle or two. He probably had an <laughs> opportunity on the sideline at some point in the 98 yards. Yeah, it's wild that they couldn't like why why couldn't they run the ball on on Mel Tennessee? Like I can understand excuses in the passing game with Keyshawn Smith being out and nobody really had like, like the prevailing thought throughout the offseason was their receiving core needed an injection of talent and never really got it. So with the thought was okay things can be schemed or lean on tight ends more. Definitely like the running game is going to be a core competency of the team. And it's clearly not, not translating. It's not really happening. Yeah. They're pretty bleak in all areas of the offense. Um, it is shocking to see Knighton just do nothing. The first half of the season Parrish has been sporadic and Thaddeus Franklin, you know, it's just kind of like, I don't think any of those guys are worth anything. The receivers are brutal. Um, so pretty funny to watch. Not going to lie. Just the, just the giant large plays are just hilarious. I want to touch on one topic before we get into more week four review or in week five outlook. Do you know who the highest scoring flex player in fan tracks is right now in college fantasy, fo fantasy football? Joe has that cool graphic up on the CFF site homepage. And I was looking at it, but I didn't commit it to memory. Who is it? Charlie Jones, 137.7 points per our industry league, uh, 41 catches, 533 yards, seven touchdowns. That might be a little skewed. We Maybe we get return yard points. We do in that league, but I don't think he returns. Yeah, 132, so I don't think it's going to impact much. I mean, he's literally 16 points, 16 and a half points higher than the next guy, Evan Hole. It's insane. 17 points over Emeka Aguka, so... How insane! I mean, we knew Purdue receiver one was the spot, right? That was going to yeah. hit. We had no idea, right? He was like our fourth or fifth option. Everybody thought. Yeah, I thought they were just saying nice things about transfer when they were talking about how he he was like showing out in camp and stuff like that. Like I, at by the end of camp, I had talked myself into the idea that it was going to be Elijah Cannon, uh, who can't even get on the field. Like, so he has a lot in common with all the guys that I've drafted drafted and like uh this this year they're all kind of just chilling on the bench in some capacity so uh he fits right in but i mean it makes sense i don't know did you when you everything you heard about charlie jones this offseason did, did you think oh yeah of course he's a, he's an outside receiver of course he's in the david bell mode of course he's going to be the the contested catch specialist um even without aoc playing this week he was still what he still saw double digit tar targets and racked up a couple scores right yeah, I 
I had a hard time with Purdue in the offseason because they just kept rotating guys that were getting all the hype. Yeah. So it was like, I have no idea which one. Like, I think I leaned on Tracy a little bit and Brock Thompson because of last bowl game. Yeah. Um, never I was considered out on Charlie Thompson Jones. Just I, I didn't believe, like, the injuries sounded so ridiculous. I was like, we're not hearing anything that equates to this dude is, he's good to go. So I was like, I, I'm after, like, I think I took him in one or two drafts right when it set things sounded like, okay, he's recovering to, and is expected to be good to go in some capacity for fall camp. So I took him late, late in a couple drafts in the early summer. And then after that, I was like, I'm not willing to do like top 10 to 12 rounds on this dude. Um, but I was, yeah, I thought Tracy had a good shot to do Rondell more type things. And they do to some degree with him. They hit him on quick hitters. They give him backfill run, backfield run, and he looks pretty good doing all of that. But he's just not the focal point of the offense, which, uh, I mean, credit to uh, our boy Wes Huber, who runs the industry league, does fancy point stuff. He was so out on Tracy and uh, playfully gave me shit on uh, being on him, just, just basically – through the lens that this was most likely what was going to occur with the, with, with respect to what his role would be in the offense. So, um, Charlie Jones went to Buffalo for two years. That's not and true. That's what it says. That's <laughs> what it says on fan tracks. Then he went to Iowa for three years. And now he's at Purdue's sixth year. I don't remember him at Buffalo at all. He has... <laughs> Who would, right? I mean, he had literally 18 catches that year. Uh, and that was back in like the just the heavy run game of Buffalo, but literally 80 career catches, 41 of them come this year. Amazing. Is that, I don't say, is that the most surprising? Cause that's a vague question that you didn't, I didn't hope you prepare for. This, I'm looking at like the top 15, and Bijan is in there, Rasheed Rice, Blake Corum. Those are all guys that I think we all agree not surprising at all to be in the top 15 of flex players. The rest are incredibly uh, surprising. Maybe not Mo Ibrahim, but I think everybody agreed the injury would keep him out of top 15. Is this a year where just the craziest shit's happening in the offseason? Uh, I should say is the craziest shit happening in the season and all offseason we were wrong? Or is this, do you think, fairly typical and we're just forgetting about how wrong or right we were the previous year? I think it's pretty typical. Like we looking back in hindsight and as we get further away from the season, we always forget, I think how wrong we are and are inherently always going to be about how things are going to play out in us in CFB relative to when we're drafting in the off season. Uh, you'll hear in DFS, the, the mantra, the idea that you're not trying to be right you're just trying when you're making selections you're just trying to be more right than other people uh that you're playing against and that is never more true uh than i think with respect to drafting in cfb uh like we're all going to be so many so wrong about so many things so it's just trying to be less wrong and looking to take stances that have um uh, a probability of being right a higher probability of right relative to other people um, but there are different schools of thought and there are different ways of playing it, uh, right? Like, for instance, it's not like I, I don't think it's necessarily valuable to just be right about players that are ultimately middling, um, right? You like the idea, an idea that can work is trying to just hit home runs and hit more home runs than 
everyone else. That kind of, that also kind of leads and in, leads into the idea that we're all going to be wrong. So make your right the things that you're right about count. Yeah, um, make your right so right it makes up for yeah. your wrongs. Gotcha. The, the Josh uh, the Josh route, Josh Valier route. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's I, it's a worthwhile exercise to try and do analysis about yourself in the moment in in intra season because I think the farther we away we get from the season, uh, it's difficult to be objective about how things actually play out in reality and just to try to re to revert back to preconceived notions about how smart we are and how uh, how good our ability to project and project predict actually is. Yeah, I think I think it's what you said, right? I think this is fairly typical, but I think it's going to be even more typical in the future because of the transfer portal. And you get this assumption that so, you know, there's just going to be so many options, right? Like Purdue had what three transfers come in that could have been that receiver one. Now it makes it less clear, right? If there, the transfer portal wasn't a thing, you know, we would just all assume that Sheffield or Mershon, like the best of that bunch of returners. So we have more like proven information within the same, um, within the same team from previous years. Looking at quarterback is fun because it's fairly predictable. Um, you know, Jalen Daniels has just ruined my Saturday every single week this year. But besides that, you know, Drake May, I think people love UNC quarterback, Will Rogers, Bryce Young. You know, you got Austin Reed, the Western T uh, Kentucky quarterback, Hooker, Frank Harris, Stroud. Like those are all pretty like pretty typical names. Not surprising. Do you think quarterback is a little bit different in that regard, or do you think we just got lucky that this quarterback group is pretty predictable this year? Um, more, it's definitely it definitely feels a little more uh, predictable than flex. Talking about it through the lens of the portal, right? So <laughs> I don't know if you've thought about the the flex, but maybe you're different than me. But I was thinking about flex transfers and then even more granularly like RB and wide receiver transfers that I drafted. I, and my strategy for, I think it maybe just the chips fell this way was I didn't really attack RB transfers through just through the lens of, Hey, there can only be one running back who ascends. And I feel, I felt likely that in a lot of those scenarios, the coach would just kind of go with the dude who was there already. So it felt pretty easy to be wrong. I was like, Oh, let me, but I like a lot of these receivers that are transferring. So let me draft those guys. I, I think they have good landing spots or their landing spots project to improve. And they are, um, they're players I like too. So let's do it. And they're, they've all been atrocious. They can't even get on the field. Tyler Harrell, Jalen Robinson. Um, who are the other ones? Tyrone Tracy. Like the, these are all guys that Bad. I was drafting throughout uh, best ball season. And they're all, they're all disasters. So, uh, but uh, quarter come back to quarterback. I so it definitely has been helpful to have about 70% Clay Millen, uh, for a lot like we talked on Colorado State last time, but uh, him getting hurt against an FCS team, I'm, I'm just waiting for him to get ruled out for the year, uh, to just uh, and that'll be the final death knell for put, I think, put so. you out of your misery, exactly. Yeah, we can just uh, finally, I don't. I, I won't need to check their games anymore outside of confirming that Tory Horton continues to get uh, 10 targets a game, put up some. Yeah. Points, so. Probably yeah. similar to when my parents used to look at the game log for when I was playing. <laughs> it's like, I know he struck out twice, but why am I looking? And yep, he struck out twice. Cool. 
<laughs> so uh looking at last week i think this was a pretty i had a wedding it's unfortunate timing i did not think this slate of games would be as fun as it would have been at like the 3 30 and 7 time slot so i missed some good ones um let's see here oklahoma kansas state was a night game that was great florida tennessee i missed bruce coming out party i'm a bad brew fan and then you know oregon washington state another fan of the uh of the pod bo nix was there was there a game texas tech texas was awesome too was there a game that uh you got to watch and impressed someone you know impressed there you were opportunities one of those? for me to watch some uh daytime cfb so i did catch some of the games that you you're referring to my uh as tends to be the case with me someone who doesn't really rely too much on data for building their DFS lineups as the season's progressing. I am starting to hemorrhage money and give back profits that I'd gained earlier on in the year and being hundred percent, Nick Singleton, hundred percent, Will Shipley, uh, kind of sunk all my, uh, teams. Yeah. I was on Dylan Wright this week as well as, uh, from the perspective of, he was like 3,500. I think he's going to be the Minnesota receiver who, uh, steps in commands targets and he's, he's already played snaps. He got some targets, but, didn't get, get any touchdowns and only ended up with like three or four catches. So having him on pretty much all my teams uh, in conjunction with uh, Singleton pretty much made sure that I wasn't going to to cash, even though we were, dude, we were so on point with the Wake Forest game. Uh, we nailed it. Yep. We talked about last week. So that was fun. But uh, I caught some of the Texas, uh, Texas Tech game. I caught um, a good amount of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma game, watching Adrian just do everything that we thought he could do against them. So that was fun. Um. So I feel I feel like those were the and yeah. I watched uh, some some uh, a little bit of Georgia as well. So those were the main things that, that I I tuned into. Um, I wouldn't say anything overly insightful that I could take away from uh, those games, though. Outside of I mean, it was great watching Oklahoma lose uh, and seeing Adrian do his thing. That that game provide me with a little bit of confirmation bias just about things that I felt regarding the big 12 coming into the year. Every game's going to be a carnival. The top teams are going to, the top teams are going to be kind of in a battle every single week. Like I think there's going to just be a lot of rotation in terms of uh, who is at the top of the, of the conference week to week. So it's good. That who, more a matter of who survives, who can kind of get out of yeah. there with two losses type yeah. of thing. Uh, Texas tech. Donovan Smith to me. Are you a golfer, Andrew? No, I, I used to try and play, and I'm so like I never learned how to actually hit the ball. Uh, so that's pretty key. It, like yeah. me hitting a golf ball is kind. Of, it's more or less like someone trying to swing a baseball bat. Like it's just it's not great. The, the amount of energy that I'm expending to try and hit the ball doesn't at all equate to how far the ball goes, and it, it just never really worked out. Been there, been there. So the reason why I ask is Donovan Smith to me feels like a like kind of like an old golf saying. Like I think we're gonna at the end of the year we're gonna look back and think this. There's like kind of a train of thought that when you're on the 18th hole, you have a great hole, or you have like a great shot, right? Maybe you sink like a 40 foot birdie, maybe you drive it 300 off the tee, and it it's like that one shot reminds you, dude, I need to go play again next week. <laughs> and I think Donovan Smith's going to do that to us because NC state looked awful. Was he even going to play? I couldn't confidently project him to get more than 50% of snaps. Cause they literally come out and said like, 
basically, if he doesn't make if he makes a mistake, we're going to consider pulling him. So how do you confidently roster that? Then it comes out and has a huge game. Um, so in that offense, I think we're going to have to be a little bullish and take our lumps sometimes. Um, he had 42 rushing yards, a touchdown, 330 passing yards, two touchdowns. And his usage is insane. I know this is obviously an overtime game. They had a million plays, but like 71 attempts in a sense, right? 15 carries, 56 <laughs> passing attempts. Not great in terms of like the efficiency and stuff, but just pure volume monster. They finally started to like do some of the stuff with the just hitting price with quick hitters. Like that's how that guy needs to be used on an offense. That was so Stearnsy, but like in from a usage perspective. Um, it's weird though. So the, like the two signatures of the WKU offense were a million targets for Jared Stearns. And then the outside receivers are just running, are getting hit on insane go routes as, that they're open for as a result of so much attention being given to Stearns. And if you look at the targets, the usage for their outside receivers last game. So Loic, uh, however you say his name, Loic, fun guy, Foengie, got benched, right? Sparkman started in his place. Uh, and the other one who's been starting, who is it? Uh, Nehemiah Martinez. No, no, big. Bradley, right? He started too. Well, Bradley, I think uh, Martinez got a ton of uh, snaps. Maybe he didn't start. Interesting. So but, they used Mart- Martinez outside? I think he was slot, but Bradley... I was not thinking outside to receive. Yeah, so, right. Bradley but, would be the other outside guy. Yeah, but 56 attempts and outside receivers got like five targets, like five, seven, nine targets or something like that, which is so weird because thinking back to last year, okay, between like they would didn't get that many targets at Western Kentucky, right? Last year he was getting like five, six targets a game. Um, and But Tinsley by the end of the year was seeing like 10, 12 targets and just – Sometimes a lot of the time it resulted in a ton of massive games, but that, so it's great to like see the offense start to have the identity, start to have half of the identity that we want and expected to like utilizing the slot receiver and just in, it, from an insane target volume pers- perspective. But are we going to see the outside receivers start to get uh, just from a t- pure target perspective, the usage that, represented what was done last year and then also just translating those targets into actual actual touchdowns long plays who's to say but this is i mean definitively a step forward i think in terms of the progression of that offense yeah they i think he had 17 targets let's see miles price 17 targets so pretty incredible um i think that receiver group is going to be pretty inconsistent like this brady boyd guy got more like 29 passing snaps which is pretty pretty high um week five it sounds like uh kent state ohio is going to be your favorite matchup game of the week hopefully it's on tv i haven't even checked yet but i assume it's an espn pluser it's a pluser yep um is there a game that pops out at you i mean we're getting some crazy weather so i i suspect some things are going to change here but is there a, a matchup or a game that intrigues you so the weather is like it's so annoying to have to pay attention to that stuff from like from a betting perspective, from a fantasy perspective. Um, like here's all there's all the different layers to it. Do I need to worry about this game being canceled? Oh, great, I don't. Well, 
so much of the Atlantic coastline from like Georgia up through like the Carolinas, right, is just going to get hit with rain right in the middle of Saturday. And it's just get, and now the question becomes, well, can I play these guys? Because the, the conditions are just going to be a disaster. Um, I was looking at the, the Liberty Old Dominion game earlier from a betting perspective, and the over-under was like 41, so low. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out, like, what are the factors that are going to that? Is it that Kate, we don't know if Kadon's going to play? Because that's a huge impact with how bad Bennett is and how bad that offense is without him. But then the weather is also supposed to be pretty effing bad uh, during that game. Like, lots of rain, lots of wind. So I ended up betting the over for funsies, but um, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think the rain obviously is never fun, but the wind is what I think you need to worry about. Yeah, I think wind is the one that's going to impact the scoring the most. Uh, but yeah, there's there's enough games on that East Coast, and the crazy thing too will be I'm in Atlanta, so I'm definitely going to be impacted by just rain. I'll be fine. Who cares? Yeah. But we don't really know exactly what we're going to get until like Friday night, probably. Like it's going to be pretty close to slates and, and games yeah. starting before we get some real actual. Uh, reliable info on weather is, we all know that changes so much i don't understand so for for florida we've had like these florida games move from saturday to sunday and that there's that weird one where for some reason like the the ecu ucf game moved up from 7 p.m to 2 30 i, they, well, like, I moved it somewhere else in state right <laughs> yeah like well, i don't understand the purpose of that because isn't the idea that like that, the storm is getting ready to hit Florida now, and it's supposed to do Florida to do like hit Florida between like now and Friday. So why is that game getting moved up? Or maybe it's like yeah, maybe there's an event later on in the day or something at that venue because they're moving it. I don't know. You're right. They're moving the venue as well. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just trying to figure out like why is moving up the time beneficial? But maybe they have to get ready for like NFL or like I don't know something. Um, but then I'm also thinking like. All right, so I have JRP in a bunch of leagues, and that game's on Sunday. Do I have to worry at all that, like, in any – is there – what percentage chances are is there that – that game right now is moved to Sunday, but could that game potentially get canceled and then I'm totally effed out of having an ability to play a quarterback? The answer is yes. No, and there's a low percentage chance, and I shouldn't build – make lineup decisions around that unlikely outcome, but it feels non-zero. Like, who knows? It's possible for sure. I mean, that was the one that was surprising to me because SMU has to fly in. So <laughs> are they flying in? Like they were, I think I saw something that said they were supposed to fly in at like two on a, on Friday. Is two o'clock on Saturday going to be better? Like, are they flying in Thursday? You know, like, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I have challenged DraftKings and nobody... Uh, I don't think anyone saw it, but we have to get a would, Sunday slate, right? We, yeah, if we got a Sunday slate, though, it would be awful. It would be like a hundred bucks to first place. So, like, why yeah, am I yeah, even yeah. begging for it? Yeah. But I think there's a shot FSU Wake Forest gets moved to Sunday as well, which would be two ranked matchups on Sunday, or or one ranked matchup. Uh, Florida plays Sunday. Are they ranked anymore? I what do you think it. happens in that Florida State Wake Forest game? Well, I don't like that outlook for Florida State because Jordan Travis didn't run last week because he was hurt, but he also didn't have to run in that matchup. I don't think he's healthy enough to run what they need to to beat Wake. I think Wake kind of like turned it up 
and I think they kind of found themselves offensively, which is weird because Perry didn't have a huge game. But um, I I like Wake. I think it also moves. I I don't understand how Tallahassee gets away with playing at three thirty on Saturday. I <laughs> truly have no idea. I, I'm but, so ignorant to all things Florida geography, like in terms of like the difference in from with respect to weather on like West Coast and East Coast, and, and like I'll never, I'll probably never learn it, and I'm okay uh, being ignorant uh, to it. Um, obviously, now at this very point in time, it's not beneficial to me, but it's just kind of where I'm at. Yeah, you've gone too far in life. Don't worry about it. I'm in Atlanta. I don't, I don't even know where some of these cities are in it. They always. <laughs> East Coast, West Coast. Well, we got the salt water. We got the Galt, whatever. Um, yeah. There was a game that I was going to bring up, and I just. I, I feel like I've pontificated before about how much I hate the idea that offenses will allow their play calling to be dictated by what a defense does. Did you see this discussion around Wake's uh, play calling at the end of the Clemson game? I so not. I forgot I watched some of this as well. I, I watched the end of the fourth quarter in overtime and wake after absolutely shredding Clemson's D through the air all day, just Harmon doing whatever he felt like all of a sudden they just start run, running the ball every single play. And the announcers are like, first of all, they, they were like, well, what the F's going on here? Like, why are they doing this? And then they caught, they caught on like Clemson just started moving everyone back uh, kind of and leaving light boxes and like, and wakes like do, doing that, that stupid, play calling thing where like, Oh, it's a light box. We'll just run into that. Like doing exact, you're doing exactly what the defense wants you to do. Like it, it, that, that play calling philosophy just blows my mind that you would allow the defense to decide for you, what plays you're going to call just based on what they're showing pre-snap. Yeah. I think it's kind of like a soft mentality. Like it's Hartman. It's not like some random yeah. QB two, right? Like a yeah, backup. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about one of the best quarterbacks in college football, and he and he has at least four weapons that are good, right? Like I think we can all agree. Obviously Perry, but like Moore and Green, Banks, even like Keyshawn Williams have proven to be adequate to good. And you can't figure out a way to throw. Like Clemson's <laughs> D is good, but come on now, you're just those running backs aren't anything impressive. What I wanted to bring up was Alabama, Arkansas. Is this is this going to be similar to Arkansas, Georgia last year, where there was game day, there was hype around, you know, is Arkansas for real? Then they just get smacked like 28-0 in the first quarter. Because I kind of have this feeling that Alabama is just going to come out hot. I know they're 17-point favorites, so it's not like people expect it to be tight. But I feel like that game could be over at halftime. I've been thinking about it from a few different angles, from a fantasy perspective. So the one is presumably have you read any have you read or seen anything about how every everyone just th- throws for as many yards as they feel like on Arkansas like I haven't seen that yeah they like they give up like over 300 yards passing a game and that includes uh playing against Texas A&M uh, right so um so I was trying to figure out if I want to use Jameer Gibbs in some formats this week and you could like even just con- even considering that data point, you can make an argument both ways because he's so involved in the passing game. Uh, but also, like it would be nice if he got 15, 20 carries. But it, with Arkansas being so weak against the against the pass, like it's probably not overly likely. So I don't know him like trying to figure out what to do with him this week. I think is very interesting and difficult. Um, but I 
I wouldn't be surprised if Arkansas is able to to move the ball to score points on Bam. I don't think there's any way they stop them. Uh, last year's game was super interesting between those two teams, right? It, like it came down to like the, the, the last possession, and I I it, I don't think it would be surprising if this was a if this was a competitive game. I don't know if Arkansas can score with Bama the way that Bama is going to score in this game, though. Yeah, I think there's two things that. I think are going to taint people's minds on Arkansas and it's that game against Missouri state or whoever they played that they almost lost yeah. Yeah. and um, Alabama barely beating uh, Texas a few weeks back. I think that like really kind of skews and it, it's like pulling at strings on me. on like how I think this game will go. Um, Gibbs is super interesting. I'm a huge Gibbs fan that Alabama running back group makes like reminds me of what George is doing with the running backs where like everybody gets like seven to nine carries. It's like little league baseball where it's like, okay, well everybody has to play. So I got to give, <laughs> got to give Sanders a couple carries. Like I, it's dude, so frustrating. I know you like you put, you pull snaps and stuff like that. Um, and I haven't looked at, I haven't begged you for the snaps for Bama yet, but watch, I watched a lot of the Bama Vanderbilt game. I watched almost the whole first half. And it felt like Gibbs was playing like he was the dude for almost all the first half, but the ball just wasn't going to him. Like he was, it's not like they were rotating series so much uh, from a snap perspective. It's not like he was playing snaps evenly in the first half with the running backs. It felt like he was always on the field. They were just, they just, they wanted to mess around with the passing game. They wanted to figure that out. And they, they used, uh, that they've used Vanderbilt for that purpose. So um, <laughs> I wouldn't take away – I wouldn't take away that he's in anything representative of a true timeshare. And depending on how you think this game plays out, um, Nate, said, Nate said something like this on uh, Jared's podcast this week that basically Gibbs is the dude you want to use in close games because uh, they're going to feature him more. I totally agree with that. Um, so if this game ends up being closer, like he, he could he could go absolutely off. So we need it to be closer. Good to know. Yeah. Uh, he's he's priced up on DraftKings, so I don't know if is he worried. He yeah, he's like eight thousand, so it's not even yeah. a big deal. But in terms of snaps, he saw twenty nine snaps. And I think McClellan got twenty five. You mentioned DraftKings. Can I, can I pivot our conversation for a second? Put you on the spot. Sure. I never ever win on FanDuel ever, and to the point where like I. I I'll maybe I'll I'll create a lineup or two early ish in the week, but I know I, I like I have no idea how to actually build winning line lineups on FanDuel. I, so it's super TD dependent. I hate FanDuel. Full yeah. disclosure. It's just it doesn't look good. It Dude, they annoy. Yeah, me. I don't know. Like, they don't even have the main slate out as of when I was looking earlier today. Um, their lineups you have to be right because like DraftKings is PPR, FanDuel is half right. So catches don't matter as much. You more look at touchdowns. There's no bonuses. It's Not super having the extra flex throws me off so much because it's like, all right, I've only got two running back spots, and I can never decide if I want to spend up or spend down. And while I have a decent feel for like, all right, price, like I I understand like what a player looks like when he's priced uh, soft versus not. And one of the more interesting and fun things to do is like compare who's price down and up on the different sites to get get a feel for like who's a value on what site and stuff like that but it still doesn't help me figure out where i want where i want to prioritize my money and i i never do a good job of it 
Uh, and like when I, I'll never even check my teams. Like that when I've built them on game day, I'll usually just like log in the next day and it'll be like, if I cash, it's like, Ooh, I cashed. And surprise. Like, hope there's a comma in your amount of money. <laughs> just hope. Yeah. Just I got a little bit of money back this week. It wasn't a total loss. Yeah. I think FanDuel correlation matters more, you yeah. know, where you're, that whole tough game and it's annoying. I don't do it as much on DraftKings besides the obvious like stack and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I think that matters way more because you're you need like the bigger games, the the high scoring because of the way it's it's formatted. But it's also just not aesthetically pleasing, so I just don't play it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see here. A cool Big Twelve matchup: Spencer Sanders, Oklahoma State against Baylor. That total for them, that game is is not going to be as high scoring as I think we would like it to be. Yeah, Do you I have a, a vibe on if Sanders picks it up? Into the mud, right? What would you say the total is? Uh, I have to take a look real quick. Yeah, the, the prevailing thought is presumably that Baylor drags that game into the mud. Uh, it's I thought it was interesting that Baylor is a, a two and a half point favorite in that game um, when I. I, I haven't dug too much into main slate yet, but I initially was like, oh, let's just let's create a lineup of Sanders, Richardson, and Braden Johnson, and let's go. Like, that's going to be low-owned, low and that could be fun. Maybe they just uh, – maybe they just uh, get all the po- get all the points. Things are kind of uh, just not really spread out in, in that team, and that, 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 could, that, could, be, that could be interesting. That, that could be fun. Um, but, yeah, like Baylor <laughs> – there's nothing really fun about what they they do, right? Like they 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 play slow. They all their they don't do anything explosive. Their games aren't really high scoring. So I don't know. So I can understand why the total and they play decent defense. Uh, so I can see why the total isn't isn't that nice from a, a DFS perspective. It's like 56, 57. It's like I think the projected score is something like 28, 27 type. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Right. I think the intriguing options on Oklahoma State. You know, with Dominic Richardson and then Braden Johnson, or I think they're both like fairly priced. Spencer Sanders is fairly priced. I'd be curious. I'm curious to see if he keeps it up because I'd like to see him keep it up. He's been here for five years. It'd be nice yeah, to see him yeah. for once do something well. Maybe two of the 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 podcast's favorite things are happening on Saturday night. We get an 11 p.m. game amongst two Pac-12 teams. And one of them is Bo Nix. Does Bo Nix continue? By the way, Bo Nix is at like on DraftKings, he's at like 42 points, three straight games or something like that. <laughs> do we see his success continue? Or do you think it's more just non-conference play? So at some point in the offseason, you you appointed Bo Nix as this year's Kenny Pickett, but you didn't follow through hard enough in your in our drafts. You didn't take him in every single one. I know you you have some, but you should be swimming in best ball cash right now as a result of this. And yeah, to, I was, dude, you need to, not all of your convictions are that good, but that one was. And when you get that feeling, you gotta, I think you gotta go all in on it. Yeah. I think it was the conversation was around, it was one of our early pods. Um, so nobody knows what we're talking about, but <laughs> I think I was talking about, we were doing best ball review for like the first draft. And I was like, DJU and Bo Nix and like the mid 20, like low twenties that like 22, 23rd round, like that's a no brainer. Right. And I think we even spent some time. You guys talked about Bo Nix without me, which is just the worst. I'm going to get Zach back here in a second for that. Um, But yeah, 
I new coaching staff. I don't know if it continues consistently, but three straight games, BYU, Washington State are not cream puffs by any means. Stanford is not Stanford of old, which, by the way, someone pointed out that Stanford's the best head coaching job in America because uh, Shaw's making like nine million to win like three games a year. Did you know that? More better than Northwestern? Yeah, mm, it's about it, the same, but they pay up more at Stanford, yeah, though, right? It gets paid a ton. Palo Alto is a pretty nice location, though. Cost of living is up probably there, though. Yeah. Stay in West Coast. Let's talk Hank. Let's talk Hank Bachmeyer. What is the most likely transfer spot for Hank back, uh, Bachmeyer? Oh, man. Um, are we still, so we need to start off with the most important divergent data point, right? Of FBS or FCS. And then mm -hmm. we go from there, right? And the fact that he has two years of eligibility and obviously can play next year. I'll say North Dakota State. He's from one of those uh, one of those places with like th with two cell towers, right? Wyoming or one of Dakotas or Montana or something. He's from one of those, uh, I think. So let, I'm gonna say he's not really leave, looking to leave that quadrant. And there's not a lot of FBS uh, options out there, right? So I'll say North Dakota State. He's from Marietta, California. Who was I thinking of? Really? I don't know. I yeah. I, maybe I'm thinking of a different uh, Boise quarterback. I thought, or I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, misremembering. Looks okay. like it's maybe closer to like LA, San Diego. Not sure. I think FCS is the move. Although someone in one of the discords mentioned like there's 130 teams. Like as much as we think Hank's not any good, like <laughs> there's 130 quarterbacks out there. We've seen some bad quarterbacks, right? I don't know. I, Sacramento State speaks to me a little bit. UC Irvine, those types, you know, I, that, those are the ones that speak to me the most. Just get them out of Thursday and Friday night slates. I cannot do it anymore. You I know, if he's staying, FBS, he's staying in the Mountain West. Do you think he would do, entertain like Idaho and keep it in state? It all comes back to FCS versus FBS, right? Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think of like a, a FBS school that would consider him. Uh, first thought, I don't know why Fresno State would be interesting potentially. Be, he would not get rid of you know there's he would still so be many, in our lives. There's but. so many red flags, or at, not even just with how things ended with him at the very end, but in the months you could argue even the last year or so leading up to that, like not being named a team captain, not being sent to media day as like a a fourth year starting quarterback on your team. These aren't, these aren't good, good signs. Uh, then that is, those are even bigger red, red flags than some of his, his flaws in terms of just like always getting hurt, always holding the ball uh, too long. Uh, like that stuff might, even, might be frowned upon less than all the stuff that's going beyond the scenes that results in your team and your, your team not really looking to appoint you to any sort of leadership position despite playing the most important position for four years. Yeah, the, so, the, the red flags seem to be pretty large in terms yeah. of talent. I think I saw something that like was like, hey, don't don't hate on his um, personality or like his integrity and all that because like he gave his NIL money to charity, which he's got to be a decent dude if he's doing that. He's just not 
potentially great, great at football, which is totally fine. Speaking yeah, yeah, of red, not that into it. Who knows? talking red flags, um, Colorado State. Did you see another guy entered the portal? Yeah, dude. Like we need the real story. Of what's going on there? Maybe maybe Norville's just not a not a good dude. Who knows? Like there's there's got to be so much more than we're privy to. It's not. I don't think it's just. Oh, we lost a few games. I'm out of here. Like we started to. Uh, what's the word? Irresponsibly hypothesized last time. Uh, what could be contributing to it? My idea, like, all right, maybe this isn't necessarily a meritocracy, and people are are upset about it in terms when it comes to playing time. But who knows? There, like, you, there, are all kinds of crazy stuff goes on in terms of uh, coaches not necessarily being the best people. And uh, when it comes to how they treat players and stuff like that, so maybe something like that's happening. Uh, but I like the the idea that this is just happening because the team lost a few games in the first year of the coach's tenure. Like it can't just be that, right? There's something's got to be going on. Something's in the water because all these receivers are transferring, and it's literally a receiver friendly uh, offense. So yeah. one final red flag would be if you're not playing underdog fantasy. You are doing it wrong. Okay. We have best balls. We have uh, pickums and rival bets you can make. These are prop bets based on obviously any sport, but obviously we're here for college football. If you deposit up to $100, you get matched that money by using the BTR code. So please check out Underdog Fantasy. Uh, I try to pitch or throw out one or two screenshots a week. Mine won last week because I took advantage of. Uh, that West Virginia pit or West Virginia, Virginia tech game. So what did you, you think? Uh, I had under Mathis rushing t- or under Mathis touchdowns. Nice. I had the rivals, which was Prather more yards than Sam James. And then I took under Keaton receiving yards, which was like 73. So but, victorious, but all those catches and, and the rushing tutty. Yeah. So, <laughs> Full disclosure, if Keaton, Brew, and Blake Corum do well, you can just see my best ball teams go like straight up in rankings. The best is that championship series that we did where we took 12, uh, 12 drafts over the offseason, and I'm, it was in like dead last. All my teams were awful except for one, which was in second. I have no idea what happened there. And then after this past week where Brew was awesome, and Blake Corum was awesome, and Keaton, and, and like Travis Dye was great. I think um, I'm in like seventh place now with like two teams in first. <laughs> it's like incredible the amount of uh, fluctuation there, just based on three or four guys. I've been on the opposite traje- trajectory. Uh, things started off nice and been trending downward, but now we're getting to my time with uh, G5 teams moving into conference play. So prime for a rebound if any of uh, my highly uh, drafted players can actually get back on the field. The Chandler Mars, Braden Bennett, Clay Millen. It'd be nice if they could put up non-zeros, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah, starting with like four zeros is not great. You know they already announced Braden Bennett's out. I saw, I saw. Not even a doubtful tag, just out again. He's gone from <laughs> questionable to doubtful to out. So They just killed the suspense, too. On a This was a Wednesday recording, and so it was a Wednesday afternoon when they announced it. <laughs> just awful. Just awful. But any uh, any final thoughts before we uh, wrap this bad boy up? 
try, I, I started looking at uh, DraftKings, trying to figure out like what uh, what's like the contrarian game stack this weekend. There, I, it felt like there's so many games in the slate this weekend. Is it the same amount as usual, or did they put did they put more? In? They're usually around. 13 14 which, usually yeah, right 13 14 which that's is one of the reasons that like i one of the many reasons that I, I don't love main slate as much as night slate it just feels like even if i'm right i might not be the most right because they're like what if other games go off and i don't i didn't target those and that like night slate seems a lot more manageable in that regard just based on the way i like to play um but so let's see we have 13 games on saturday i think it was initially like it might have been 14 and then uh the hurricane decided 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 otherwise um i i think the, the if i if i play uh the game that i will like to look to target a little bit from a contrarian perspective will be that oklahoma state baylor game i don't i think that having some fun with the OK State side, just picking QBRB, uh, WR, throwing that in some lineups. And I would expect that ownership won't be overly great because the, the perception of uh, how Baylor is going to force that game down down uh, and into the mud is going to be such that people aren't going to generally target that game. And there are a lot more interesting games from a staff yeah. perspective up, up at a surface level, right? So that one could be uh, – and it, it could go horribly wrong. I assume that most people have, when they think Oklahoma State Baylor, they think about the four interception uh, conference championship from Spencer Sanders, but they probably forget that a lot. The time before that, that they played earlier in the season, people won. This this is like the one night slate I didn't play last year, where the winner had Spencer Sanders, Jalen Warren, and Tay Martin in their lineup. I was like, dude, that's like the most Andrew thing possible. If I played yep. that slate, I totally would have had that. Um, but and that they all they all went nuclear in Oklahoma State destroyed Baylor. So why can't something like that play out this time as well? Yeah, I think that one is certain. It fifty six and a half in a, a spread of one is usually one that you would think people would be on, but considering the other options, yeah. there's really not right. It's like maybe Air Force. No one's probably going to touch except for Roberts, Michigan, Iowa. You're only touching Corum. Like some of these games are pretty much just xed out. You know, yeah, you can't but there's even so do... many that are going to have so much. Uh... Right, like the Texas so, Tech Kansas State game. I don't know what to do with Kentucky and uh, Mississippi, um, Oklahoma and TCU. You know, people are gonna be stacking that. Mm-hmm. Purdue Minnesota is interesting, right? So the that's problem with when, that is you're gonna Charlie Jones is gonna be owned by everybody. So like so? the yeah, he's sixty four hundred. So that's that's fun. Yeah. So I mean, when he was eight thousand, he was like forty yeah. percent. So just wait. There's a lot of. I don't know if we can predict anything in terms of like ownership and chalk and all that. Cause there's yeah. so many pricing inaccuracies and they're not like, you know, Charlie Jones being 3,800, like a couple of weeks back where they fixed yeah. it, but there's enough where you can just get really creative with what you want to do. I do like the Oklahoma state Baylor one. Cause you can get some, I like plays on both sides and uh, it's going to fly under the radar. I wonder if Alabama, Arkansas could fit that mold a little bit because I don't think people have a ton of confidence in Arkansas if they keep it close mm-hmm. last year's game you mentioned it, it was 42 35 so you, yeah. there's very much and i you know bryce young's like 9900 i don't think people want to pay up 9900 for bryce young right but he could like it's it's that idea that people avoid that game because kind of what you were hypothesizing earlier on like is it going to be an alabama blowout well right. they still have to score 50 points for it to be a blowout so he could have a great game. And what if Arkansas just scores like 28 to 30 points? Then right. that game could be so fun from a fantasy perspective, and that can win you 
uh, slate if you if you uh, do things right there. Yeah, I think KJ Jefferson with his rushing could be has the potential to only score three touchdowns and still have a huge game. Obviously, yeah. Bryce Young can do it if he runs more this year as well. That'd be nice. And then I just think there's going to be a lot of low ownership is what I was trying to say was with like Ja'Cory Brooks. And, you know, I think there's some intriguing options that are going to be low owned, which is what you're looking for. Right. So awesome. Well, uh, we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, hopefully everybody enjoys. Make sure you like and review and subscribe and all that. Zach stuff. wanted us to give a shout out to, yeah. to Jared and everything he's doing for uh, community every week with two pods and just kind of, doing a lot of things yeah, jared is like gangbusters over here man i think he's just hopped up on red bull all the time because i don't know how he has Dude, the energy yeah to all this stuff. i don't have energy for that shit with uh with two kids and trying to juggle all the other different uh elements of my life starting off on a 15 book grind of the foundation and robot and empire books right now so that should be interesting but yeah i don't i, I don't dude i don't have time for that shit i, I already see like all my my CFB uh, edge is slipping away as we get later in the season and my preseason knowledge base that I built up uh, kind of giving way to everything that everyone's learning intra season, but props to uh, props to him for the grind. Yeah, for sure. And he provides some good different content as well at the start sits and things like that. Yeah. Um, always kind of fun to see different like real life examples, but awesome. Well, I hope everybody has a great week. Enjoys the games and uh, we'll talk next week.